everyone. Megamar Chasima Tova. A good Geben Shtiar. Hashem should bless everyone to be inscribed and sealed in the Book of Life, in the Book of Merit, in the Book of Livelihood, in the Book of Redemption, and all the other goodies. Uh, tonight's Shear, being the pre Yom Kippur Shear, um, was um, dedicated in part by Nahid Brawl, but the, in the other part by Mayon Yisrael in honor of um, the uh, very special Jew that was so sadly and brutally murdered this week in, Yerush- in uh, Efrat, um, Ari Fold. May Hashem avenge his blood and may this be the last tragedy of exile and may he his neshama evoke powerful compassion on high for the suffer the endless suffering of the jewish people and as the, as we say and hashem should say let's say no die the abisha should say to our suffering and exile enough enough is enough by all measures and it's time for the redemption to arrive and then Ari will for sure come back and unite with his family and if there's just a few moments until that happens may Hashem give his wife and his children the comfort and whatever and healing that they need to be able to endure these dark moments before he's as a Hashem very very quickly be back here never have to dedicate anything for something so tragic. Okay. So let's try to find some light, some goodness, and a lot of light. So, just... In regarding to Yom Kippur, it says, the Mishnah says that Yom Kippur and the 15th of Av were celebrated in the time of the temple, in the time of the Beis Amigdash, as the greatest holidays. There was never such a holiday like Yom Kippur. It was very festive. It's a very serious day, but it's also a, a very deeply happy day. We achieve the deepest connection to God on Yom Kippur. It's a very happy day, even though it's a very, very serious day. Now, um, the reason why Yom Kippur is such, a, is such a great day, the sages say, what's the reason Yom Kippur being the greatest holiday? Two things. It's the day of forgiveness, the Isbe Kapara, the day of forgiveness, and it's the day in which we received the Torah. Even though most of us will right away think, wait, we, we received the Torah on Shavuos, that's when we celebrate the giving of the Torah, but we know that the Torah was given to us two times. The first time it was given to us it didn't last long. It was shattered as soon as it came down. It didn't make it even down to earth. From the top of the mountain it was shattered. But on the second attempt, which was on Yom Kippur, Moshe Rabbeinu managed to bring down the tablets. So the Torah was given to us on this day and, this, and that's the reason why this day is also called the day of our wedding. Yom Chasunasi. Because the Torah is considered, through the Torah we are betrothed to God. That's it. 
So it comes out according to this, that the connection between Yom Kippur as the day of the Torah, the Torah has been given, and Yom Kippur as a day of atonement, because both of them are on one day, must, must be that they have a relationship. Because at, at first glance, what's the connection? It's two separate things. There is atonement, and it happens to be the day we got the Torah. Is there a connection between receiving the Torah and atonement? In a sense, they might even clash. The day we receive the Torah is the day we're supposed to obey the commandments. And, the, and, the, and therefore those commandments are very, 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 very serious. So how can we on that day be forgiven for all transgressions of those very commandments that God is giving us on that day? See? The, something, is, something doesn't match up. You can say a few days later, or a couple of months later, okay, today's a day we're focusing on forgiving all those. But on the day that it's given, so you should be behaving, you should be observing these commandments and not violating them and asking for forgiveness. So what's the connection? So on the simple level, the connection between the two is that the fact that God went ahead and gave us the Torah a second time was a proof that He had forgiven us. In other words, this that that Hashem um, gave us the second tablets, notwithstanding the fact that we violated a big violation, one of the Ten Commandments, not just one, but two. But which two? The first two. You should believe in God and not have any other God other Him, which is the source of all of the Torah. The fact that Hashem gave us a second luchos is a sign that he still wants to be in a relationship with us. So it comes out that the giving of the Torah is an indication of the forgiveness. And that's their relationship. Okay, that's good. But perhaps there's something deeper. In that it's not only a sign, but because Yom Kippur is in essentially a day of Torah, because Yom Kippur is essentially the day of the giving of the Torah, that's why we have forgiveness. So we need to understand why, what's the relationship. What does the Torah, and the Torah in its most highest state, how is that related to our atonement and our forgiveness? That both of them fall out on the same day. Because everything must be by divine providence. And if you have one day that has two main features to it, one of atonement and the other of the giving of the Torah, must be that the two of them are intrinsically related. So to understand this, let's examine a little better the atonement of Yom Kippur. There's an argument in tractate Yuma, which is the Talmud, the tractate dealing with Yom Kippur, there's an argument of, amongst the rabbis how the atonement of Yom Kippur works. Or to what degree is one forgiven on Yom Kippur. The rabbis are of the opinion that Yom Kippur is only an atonement if we do teshuva. Providing that we do teshuva, that we have repentance, and that's why we go to shul and we spend the time, as with Hashem, beginning already tomorrow evening, we're going to be spending 24 hours in an environment in which we're, not just in an environment, but we're going to be doing tshuva. 
We start actually before Yom Kippur already. By Mincha before, we say already the al We're already asking forgiveness for all the sins. And we continue throughout Yom Kippur, through all the five prayers, again and again and again and again. We're asking for atonement and for forgiveness. We're confessing. And we're at least trying to find a place inside of us where we can say to God, I'm really going to improve this upcoming year. Even if it's a little improvement, God accepts that as atonement. But we're trying to be more godly conscious and more mitzvah observant. That's what we do. So there is one opinion that says, as the opinion of the rabbis, Yom Kippur will only provide um, will only provide atonement for those who return. Rebbe says, the author of the Mishnah, Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi, says, no, the very day itself is, for, is, is forgiving. So therefore, whether one does tshuva, one doesn't do any tshuva, the day itself, the mere fact that we are alive when Yom Kippur comes, and we pass through those 24 hours, even if we didn't even have one thought of tshuva on that day, the very day itself cleanses and washes and atones for all of our sins. Oh, besides for, besides for, even Rebbe, the Talmud says, even Rebbe agrees, besides for the violation of Yom Kippur. That means if one does not keep the Yom Kippur commandment, which is the fasting, I mean, I'm talking about in a case where a person can't fast, but a person could and deliberately doesn't, then they're not atoned. And the reason for that is, not because you require fasting, you need to do that mitzvah for, for forgiveness, it's because you're not allow, the person is not allowing Yom Kippur to work. In other words, the atonement of Yom Kippur does not come, according to Rebbe, from, from any, any tshuva, because you don't have to do tshuva. The atonement is in the essence of the day itself. But why is it that, you, that one needs to fast? And Because if they're not fasting, they're contradicting the day itself. They're not allowing the day itself to open up. They're not allowing themselves to open the file of the day. And therefore, you can't, can't have atonement. Now, it would seem like, according to the rest of the rabbis, who say that we need to do tshuva in order to be atoned, it would seem like there's a major argument over here. According to them, tshuva is that Yom Kippur is atonement because we're doing tshuva. That it's tshuva, repentance, that brings atonement. And according to Rebbe, no, it's not, it's not tshuva, it's the day itself. But if one pays careful attention to Maimonides, Rambam, Rambam is of the opinion, the halacha, and this is the halacha, that Yom Kippur is only forgiving. We, the general rule is that when you have an argument between the majority of the sages and one rabbi, we always follow the majority. So Rambam is of the opinion that since the majority says that what? That we're not forgiven in Yom Kippur unless we repent. So that's what he, that's what Rambam says, is the halacha. Yom Kippur will, and Rambam says like this, that that the essence of the day of Yom Kippur is an atonement providing for people who do tshuva. So if you look carefully at the careful wording of Maimonides, you see that even though Rambam, Maimonides is accepting the view that we don't have atonement unless we do tshuva, okay, serious business, we have to do tshuva, but you look at carefully the words of the Rambam, Maimonides is clearly stating that it's not the repentance that brings the tshuva. Following? 
it's not the repentance that brings the atonement. It's the day itself that brings the atonement. It's only that the day itself will bring atonement. When will the day be activated? Following. When will the power of the day, which the day itself brings atonement, when will the day be activated if we do tshuva? Just like according to Rebbe, it's only if we fast. The rabbis take it a, take it a step further, only if we do tshuva. Then it's not the tshuva detergent that cleanses the soul, it's Yom Kippur that cleanses the soul. Everybody agrees it's Yom Kippur that does the atonement. It's only conditioned that you need to have tshuva to allow Yom Kippur to do what Yom Kippur does. And that is, it, and that is the forgiveness. So, uh, what does that mean? How does that work? What is, what is the significance? Meaning to say, let me, let me, let me, let me further uh, uh, explain this a little better. It, would, it, it might be possible to say that the reason why Yom Kippur forgives everybody is because Yom Kippur, we're doing really good tshuva. All year long, sometimes we might have a moment of tshuva. Some people do tshuva every night. Seriously. The truth is when you say the bedtime shema, it's supposed to be a tshuva. People that are extremely sensitive to their relationship with God, every night when they, before they're going to sleep, they do an accounting of the day, and they give a sigh, a Jewish krechts, and they feel that the day was not so good, could have been better. And that's tshuva. Some even shed a tear. Others that when they were hyper and hypersensitive, very sensitive, would wake up every night at midnight and weep for the destruction of the temple. But it doesn't only mean the destruction of the temple. It means your own personal temple. God is supposed to reside inside my heart. And how can God reside in my heart if I'm so coarse? If the physical, material life means more to me than my spiritual life. So they would cry. They would weep. So that's constant tshuva. Again, some people more, some people less. Some people wake up. You know, we know that many times. It says Erev Shabbos is a time for tshuva. Before Shabbos. Or there is another time for tshuva. If you don't do, Erev, you don't do it every night, you don't do Erev Shabbos. At least Erev Rosh Chodesh. Every, every, once a month. Clean. Okay. Say, okay, but a lot of people are too busy, not thinking about it. Their minds are, you know, life takes, gets us distracted. All the, all, the, all, the, all the responsibilities and all the confusion, especially our very important, uh, very important um, gadget, our phone, which occupies 90% of our existence, leaving us another 10% to be ourselves, sadly, right? So now, um, okay, so you say, oh, but you know what, as it's coming the month of Elul, everybody's doing tshuva. Oh, if you didn't wake up in the month of Elul, at least you're going to do tshuva in the 10 days of tshuva. There's 10 days from Rosh Hashanah to Yom Kippur. And the truth is, these 10 days are very an opportune time to do tshuva because there is a natural blessing, tshuva energy in the air. That when you sit down with yourself privately, tshuva really needs to be done alone. When you sit down with yourself privately and you allow yourself to think and meditate, about your relationship with God, the Creator, who is giving you everything, gives you life, gives you every breath. Mamash has taken care of us. We haven't had really had one hungry day in our life that we were lacking anything. God has been there for me all along, taking care of me. And you feel like, am I meeting my expect- His expectations? Am I giving Him 
what he has been giving to me, how he has been, okay, so, and we do tshuva. So there's a special, so if we try doing this during the year, you're going to be less successful than in the 10 days of tshuva. Because the time itself, God is very close. That's it. Usually, in order to reach a sense of the divine, a sense of God, you have to peel away many layers. Because the world, creation, is meant to conceal God. So in order to sense God, one has to like take a sledgehammer and bang down a couple of walls, and then you can get to God and feel Him. These days, all you need is a little needle. And your little pop, you pop the barrier, and boom. And that's why one can really connect and even weep and cry deeply. That's what Rosh Hashanah is. So one can argue Yom Kippur is like the highest level of sensitivity. And therefore Yom Kippur we all do intense tshuva and that's where we're forgiven. But we're saying that's not the case. Yom Kippur, yeah, of course, that's what we do on Yom Kippur. And Yom Kippur is a very spiritually heightened day, godly conscious day, in which we can really, really, really all do tshuva on Yom Kippur. But that's not the source of your forgiveness. The source of your forgiveness on Yom Kippur is the very notion that it is Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur itself atones. Not because of the truth. How does it work? What does it mean? Just because it's a day? What does the day have to do with it? How does it atone? The question is, what do we need atonement for? For atonement we need for our disconnect from God. What is mitzvah? Mitzvah is not about being a good person. Not about being good. Of course one should be good. But that's part of being human. As being human, you should be good. But being Jewish is something else. Judaism is a relationship, a unique relationship with your Creator. That's Judaism. It's a unique... In other words, not living a human life, living a godly life. That's what it is to be a Jew. An opportunity to live a godly life throughout every day. In daily living, live on a living, expressing the divine being a divine being not a human being a human being plus much infinitely higher and greater what's the blemish? the blemish is if there is a disconnect in that relationship so we're meant to be expressors of God in this world through the mitzvahs that we do if we lack in a mitzvah there is a pagam a pagam means a disconnect from God and that's why we do tshuva and how does tshuva do? Tshuva gives us the ability to reconnect. Even if we already pulled it, we pulled out a plug, we have 613 plugs, we can replug. Tshuva is very powerful. But Yom Kippur is a whole different story. What's Yom Kippur? Yom Kippur, the way we're forgiven on Yom Kippur is that the day comes and the nature of the day is that it elevates us. The moment we start Kol Nidre tomorrow night, wow. Jewish people are elevated. And what does it mean we're elevated? Our external layers of identity fall away. All the external aspects of our identity, of who we see ourselves, and so on and so forth. And a powerful, powerful light and a powerful, powerful truth emerges, shines forth in an incredible, blinding light from every single Jewish man and woman. And what is that? The purest, deepest truth of your soul is exposed. And your soul is a godly being. Not because it did a mitzvah, your soul is a godly being. Not because it did something to make it godly. Your soul is a godly being just because it's a godly being. So what happens in Yom Kippur? You're forgiven all your sins 
because the part of you that's revealed on Yom Kippur was never separated. There has never been a disconnect. Tshuva works that there is a disconnect. The power of tshuva is I can connect even that which is disconnected. Yom Kippur reveals the person. Yom Kippur opens up and reveals who we are. On this day, the truth of our existence is revealed. And who are we in our truth? We're one with God. And therefore there has never been a disconnect. Even if we didn't do any mitzvah, our entire year, even if we violated every commandment, we're still godly because of who we are. Let me try to explain that for a moment. Let's say there is this dinner that is being in a fancy schmancy Beverly Homes, Beverly Hills Homes, for some raising money, let's say some, some, uh, some cause or some, you know, something that have all these campaign uh, dinners where you have uh, someone is campaigning or whatever and for the good of the party. And it puts $1,000 a plate. Okay, so people come. They want to make sure that the people that are there are people who paid and should be there, right? And okay, so generally you're coming in you're, and you're, they're checking your name. And, uh, so in the midst of this dinner that's going on and everybody is there, who's there? Because they were invited. They were invited because they paid their fee and they earned their right to be at this dinner. Fine. Suddenly, whoever the guard is or in charge over there notices someone and doesn't look like they signed up. So they go over to them and say, well, what are you doing here? And he says, I don't see you. Oh, what's your name? He says, what's your name? He says, I don't see you on the guest list. So what's your name? So tells him his name. He's looking. Doesn't see him on the guest list. He says, did you get the email that you're invited? Can you show me your reservation? Whatever. So this person starts searching for his email back and forth, back and forth. I know I should be here, whatever. And they're getting agitated. Like, you know, you're not supposed to be here. What are you doing here? Did you just... Suddenly, the one who's hosting the dinner walks by. And he sees the commotion, he says, what's going on? And, and the guy in charge says, well, this guy is over here, and I don't know what he's doing. He says, him? He's my son. <laughs> he's my son. He's not here today because he paid for a seat. He's here because he's my son. He's always here. <laughs> Torah Mitzvah says that we're living in a world we're living in a world as creations and in order to have a connection to God we're creations we're finite little tiny little creatures and God is infinitely beyond us in order to become godly we do godly things God lowered down his wisdom his will in the form of Torah and mitzvahs and gave us the ability to don royal clothing to become royal and to come to the royal banquet that's true. But then there is the prince and the princess. The prince and the princess don't need royal clothing to be at the banquet. The prince and the princess are at the banquet just because they are royal blood. They're there because of who they are, not because of what they put on and what they're wearing. In the story that I am telling you, it's two different people. There are the guest, and then there is the child. In the truth, as I'm applying it to the reality, it's not two different people. 
It's us as we exist as beings other than God all year long, as creations in this world. Then our Torah and our mitzvahs forge our bond with God. But Yom Kippur is one day that God stops playing this game. All the external facades, all the external elements of the Jewish people really being souls that are literally God, literally God, that's what souls are, just pieces of God, if you can say pieces. They They are one with Hashem. So Hashem says, today we're no more playing this, that we're imagining you as a creation. I allow you to return to who you are. And once the soul is now revealed of who the neshama is, who the soul is, as a piece of God, then this is who we are. We're godly beings. And we have a connection. So there was never been a blemish. Now, so then you're going to ask the question, okay, so then, then, then I can come to Shul Yom Kippur, smoke, or whatever, eat, and eat a ham sandwich. Because if I'm a godly person, being anyways, no matter what I do, I don't need to do anything. So then what's the whole commitment? What's the whole Torah mitzvah thing all about? So but let, let, let's, let's perhaps change this a little bit. Let's perhaps say that the people who came to this, invited to this party, were coming to the party not because they gave $1,000. That's easy to do. But let's say that the person who's hosting this party, this event, is someone who's a great, great, masterful teacher and a great thinker and a philosopher. And they've created a certain idealistic program for life, a way of living that's based on, let's say, true goodness and, 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 and being like the ultimate mensch and the ultimate selfless being and whatever. Because that's who this person is. They're, 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 this person is like an incredible, saintly tzaddik, a wonderful, wonderful, and, and, a, and a genius of genius. And he, and he created this program to inspire people to live the best way they can live. And everybody... Okay, so what happens? People sign up to be, to be educated and trained. And they're educated and they're trained. And based on that, they take certain tests and earn certain points and get certain degrees. And eventually, those who reach you know, a certain level, a very high level of, of, uh, of uh, achievement within this program get invited to this big event that happens once in 10 years. And these are people like have completely inculculated and developed these teachings of this person. And now they're walking around and looking for, when the guy is looking around, the bouncer is walking around and looking, and if you walked inside, he wants to see your badge. That you have this sign of achievement. And you're let in. Then he finds the son, and the son, is, as we said earlier, is there because it's my dad. But let me ask you something. If you're the child of your father, and your father's entire existence is living this higher life of goodness and truth and nobility and compassion and kindness and so on and so forth, then you're expected to live that way. Why? Not because you're signing up to be a good person, but this is who you are. This is your your father. Of course you are. See, on Yom Kippur, we dedicate ourselves to, to Shabbos and to and to learning Torah, and to, and to all the mitzvahs of whether we're in tefillin, and eating kosher, and so because 
if this if this is a great or if this is a and this person also for instance in part of his process in part of his ideal way of living created a diet and all the people follow that diet so of course the child i mean you eat differently you're the son and you don't you're not you're not living like your father of course we're not dealing with you have to or have to anything god therefore doesn't force us in anything it's not about having to but it's it's your essence this is the, the, the so obviously sometimes the child goes away from home and ignores the father but if he's coming back and he's at that dinner where we are celebrating this idealistic way of life that the father has developed and you're at this dinner of course you're going to live this way but you're going to live this way not because you want to it's something that you've uh, uh, um, 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 uh, aspiring to because you know this is a good way of living because you read this person's book it's not because you read the Eberster's book that you want to live this way it's because <laughs> you're a child of course you're going to live this way so the commitment to Torah and Mitzvah on Yom Kippur is a very deep commitment it's the deepest commitment but it's coming from our essence it's not coming from the fact that we're inspired by the Bible <laughs> we're not inspired Jews are not inspired by the Bible a lot of non-Jews inspired by the Bible. Jews are not inspired by the Torah. Torah is who we are. The Torah is the, the will and the wisdom of God. And being that we are royal blood, we're, we're, we're of God, so this is our lifestyle. Kashrus, kosher, is God's diet. And if you're God's child, of course you... And if last year we weren't so observant of kashrut, so now that we've discovered our peace of God from above, and that we're Hashem's child... So this is the way Yom Kippur works. And how it's tshuva is very different than all other, than, than, than tshuva, than the effects of tshuva. Because Yom Kippur reveals how there never was a blemish in our relationship. Because our relationship is one of essence. And the essence is revealed. Now, the truth is, that even when it's not Yom Kippur, and we're dealing with rectifying sins through tshuva, the way tshuva works is by elevating us to a higher point of connection with God. A point that's deeper than Torah mitzvahs. Again, what I said before about Yom Kippur means that our, our linking up with God is not in God's will or God's or, 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 his, or his opinions. You see? Generally we think that what? That Hashem has a certain, has, a, has, has desires and wants and a certain program. And if you ascribe to the program, then you're on God's team. You have a deeper connection. So what did we say earlier? No, 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 no. That's true. That's true. This, it's possible to connect to God that way. But that is for beings that are someone other than, the, than, than godly. And they need to achieve a relationship through befriending Hashem. They befriend God and get connected to God by doing God's things. But on Yom Kippur it's revealed that our soul is one with God's essence. So it's not contingent on doing so and so. It's who we are. Now, if this is who you are, of course you should do so and so, which is more external. That's the idea. 
the doing so and so, the observance, the mitzvah and so forth, is considered more external to who you are in Yom Kippur, and that is a godly being. And from there you can refresh the relationship. Now all year long when we're doing tshuva, not on Yom Kippur, when we're doing tshuva, it also works similar, similar to this. Not as deep, but similar. And that is that there is one level in where our attachment to God happens through a mitzvah. When we do a mitzvah, we become connected. Now we shouldn't look at that. We shouldn't dismiss that. That is like the craziest thing possible. It is the wackiest thing possible. It's the most unbelievable thing possible. How a tiny, finite, little flesh and blood creature that has an existence, a tiny little blink of an eye existence within a tiny little, little, I don't know how big of a human being is, you know, five feet, five to six feet and so forth, living within a tiny little space in, in, in the vast cosmos and being alive for, let's say, a long life of 120 years. But what is that? What does that compare to eternity? Can fathom, can even begin to have a relationship with an infinite being with God. So the mere fact that you can connect to God and God's energy shall flow through your body and you should be channeling infinite light when you're doing a mitzvah? You should be able to plug yourself in up to the source that creates everything from absolute nothing? That's wild. That's crazy. So let's not diminish the mitzvah. Just because this is a Yom Kippur class and, we're, and we suddenly leaped infinitely higher than mitzvahs. Because what we're saying is that mitzvahs are also external compared to the essence of God, which we, the Jewish people, are connected to God's essence much deeper than the mitzvah. But what we see now is really that there are three dimensions. There is God's mitzvahs, His commandments, which allow strangers who are not godly, the way we are all year long, strangers that are not godly, creatures within this world, to establish a bond with Him. Then there is the essence of God, which reveals itself on Yom Kippur, where we the Jews are one with God, and then we don't need anything to embellish the connection, to make the connection. We just are. And from that place, we recommit ourselves to the will and wisdom of God that is very dear to Him. Right? But then there's a middle place. And that is not so much the essence of the essence, but still it's called the willer of the will. There is the will, the mitzvahs, the individual mitzvahs, and then there is God as He is the source of all of His mitzvahs. And that's where tshuva is at. And let me just explain that for a moment. Sages tell us that they once did a survey. Who the surveyor was, I don't know. Who took this survey? But it says they did a survey. What was the survey? They went around and they asked, they asked wisdom, a sinner, what should happen with a sinner? What should be the, 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 the fate of a sinner? And wisdom said, a sinner should suffer. So then they went and they asked, they asked prophecy. What should be the fate of a sinner? And prophecy said, a sinner should die. God forbid. Then they went and they asked the Torah. Torah. 
That's why I'm wondering who the one who was surveying, who spoke to wisdom, and who spoke to prophecy, and who spoke to the Torah. But I guess someone who can communicate with these entities. And they asked Torah, they consulted Torah. What should, and the truth is it's not so hard to understand. Consulting the Torah means they read through the Torah and see what the Torah says. And they read, they read through the prophets and saw what the prophet says. They studied wisdom and they saw what does wisdom say. So they consulted the Torah and they asked the Torah what should be with the sinner. And Torah said, let him bring a sacrifice and he will be forgiven. But sacrifices don't work for all kinds of sins. Sacrifices are very limited. They work only for unintentional sins most of the time. There's a few sacrifices. Certain sins you bring a sacrifice even if you did them intentionally. So it comes out that the Torah really and, and wisdom and prophecy leave no room for tshuva. You basically, there's not much hope. Your sin kind of messed up. Either, God forbid, chas v'shalom, person needs to suffer their way back so that they can be purged and cleansed from the sin. Or, God forbid, worse, they would die and maybe start over again. Or, or a very, very limited, limited ability to rectify through sacrifices, but that's only very, very limited. Then they asked God himself, and God said, Nefesh achatas, what should a sinner do? They should do tshuva. And they will be, do tshuva, they will be forgiven. So how do we understand this medrash? We spoke about this a few times. I mean, when we say Torah, what's Torah? Torah is divine. Who made up the Torah? It's not like some rabbi made the Torah. Torah comes from God. When they consulted prophecy, who's prophecy? God communicating with a prophet. That's prophecy. Wisdom, what kind of wisdom are we talking about? Who do they speak to? A professor in college? Who, who do they talk to? Obviously, it means holy wisdom. That's who they were consulting. And yet, the answers came back. No one gave the option to do tshuva. The only one that gave an option to do tshuva is God. But aren't all these things godly? And the answer is that God relates to the world through various different layers. Hashem contracts Himself to a relationship with the world on various different dimensions. Prophecy is one dimension of Hashem lowering Himself down to the creation to become a source of communication with the prophet. So Kabbalistically, prophecy is related to certain sefirot, attributes, the attributes of Netzach and Hod, certain attributes of God. It's not God Himself. It is God as God has contracted Himself into a certain mode. Wisdom is also God as he contracted himself into a certain mode of being a source of wisdom. Torah is God too in a contracted form. Torah already is a form of connection between God and the world. But then there is God's transcendental essence, God himself. And that's what we mean, HaKadosh Baruch Hashem himself. From the systems that God set up, the manner in which He will communicate and attach and, and bond with a human being, bond with someone, establish a relationship, there are certain rules, set rules. And based on all the previous levels, these rules are kind of set and fixed. And if you break these rules, there's really nothing to do. And therefore, even Torah, which is very, very high, could not give a remedy for the person that what? For the person that's it. 
The only one who can give a remedy for a person to sin, sin is if we can reach God before God has lowered himself down into any defined definitions. Before God defines himself, because we know God is beyond any description and definition. From Hashem's very essence, if from that place he extends his kindness and his graciousness to a person, he can accept them even if the person broke all the rules and regulations. So what do you see from here? That, that tshuva, when a person does tshuva, they're touching something higher than the Torah. They're reaching above, and that's, they're reaching God on a level deeper than Torah. And from that energy, from this transcendental energy of God Himself, they're able to bring a repair into all the blemishes that happen in Torah observance. But again, tshuva means I am recommitting myself to the way of Torah and mitzvahs. It doesn't mean, God, forgive me, I do whatever I want. It means I am now willing to commit and to submit myself to live a godlier life, but I need a way to repair. So from the fact that, from the deep cry of my soul, God, how do you reach such a transcendental part? Sorry, not part. But how do you reach such a transcendental dimension of God? If the reason God gave us the Torah is so that we can connect to Him. The only way we can connect to Him is through the Torah and the mitzvahs. So how do we say, oh, when you're doing tshuva, you're reaching Hashem uh, above Torah and mitzvahs. But we don't, didn't, didn't God give us the Torah so that we can access Him? Did, he lowers Himself. Down. It's like, imagine two beings that are very far from each other. And, 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 or a child... Who's, who's trying to climb up but his father's on top of the hill and he's on the bottom and he's trying to climb and he's making it, father wants him to work very hard he's working and working and working he's trying to climb up and let's say, okay, he tries he's stretching as far as he can he brings a chair and he steps on the chair then he finds the chair is not enough so he looks for something else he puts a mattress down or a bed down and he puts the chair on top of it and he climbs after he used up all his options he still can't get there so now the only thing that can happen is if the dad from the top of the hill bends down, stretches his long arm out, and he catches the child and pulls him up. And that's the idea of Torah. There is no other way to connect God. We can't. We're, we're tiny little humans. We can't connect. The only way we connect is because God stretches his hand out, which is the Torah. But if we don't have that hand, what are we saying now? We're going to reach God above his arm. But how do we get there? And the answer to that is... That's the power of tshuva. What's the power of tshuva? Power of tshuva is that you're operating not from your normal level of consciousness. When you're doing tshuva, you're not operating from your mind and your intellect. When you're operating from your mind and your intellect, then, you're very, then we ourselves are extremely finite because our mind is, is finite, finite intelligence. Our emotions are finite emotions. But deep inside, underneath it all, we have a little spark of God inside of us that's infinite. And when, we're, when a person does tshuva, what does it mean? It means that the godly dimension in his soul suddenly opened up. So suddenly you're not that little boy anymore that's so tiny and small who just can't climb. Suddenly you're, yes, we're a little child of God, but a prince with godly energy. And we can suddenly climb up that mountain and get to the top. We can reach God prior to God stretching His arm down. So tshuva as well is coming from a deeper place inside of us, which is deeper than our external, regular, everyday self. 
a higher, more inner place. And therefore it's relating to God, not as, not to Hashem's wisdom and Hashem's personality traits, which is the Torah and the mitzvahs, but it's reaching to God as He stands above all those personality traits. Hashem Himself. Or as, the, as in Hasidic terminology it's called Baal HaRatzon, the willer of the will. All through Torah and mitzvahs we're connecting to the will, but, on, on, uh, but through tshuva we're connecting to the being that's behind the will. And that's God Himself prior to Him having a specific will. And from there, we're connecting, even if I didn't obey the will. Okay. So then comes the question to us, and here's the question. From where do we know? From where do we know that we can do tshuva? Where does it say that we should do tshuva, and that we could do tshuva? Guess what? There's no other place where it says it but in the Torah. The Torah says that in the end of days you will do tshuva. The Torah says that a person should confess, and so on and so forth. That means, the, And everything we know about tshuva, what does it say? There wasn't this tshuva prophet who comes down outside of the 24 books of Torah, or outside of the rabbis. We don't have like this extra connection to God from somewhere else other than the Torah. All the instructions we have for Yom Kippur and for Tshuva, it's all in Maimonides, it's all in the Mishnah, it's all in the Midrash, it's all in the Talmud, it's all in the writings of Hasidic terminology, in Hasidic books and Kabbalah and so on. It's all Torah. But if we're saying Torah is very limited compared to Tshuva, which is unlimited, which is beyond the Torah, God as He's beyond the Torah, so what's Tshuva doing in the Torah? So there is the classic answer to that question. And then there is the special answer, which I want to explore tonight, which is very unique. The classic answer to that question, which we've mentioned many times, is that even though tshuva emanates from a place that's above, that tshuva emanates from a place, a level of God that's even higher than God's connection to the Torah, from Hashem in a more transcendental place, yet that very, very, very high place is communicated to us through the Torah. Because Torah is revelation. Torah is godly revelation. That means we can't know anything about God other than through the Torah. We could know Hashem very externally other than the Torah. We can know God's professional self. We could know without. In what sense? Even that very limited. What do I mean by that? We, don't, we can't know God's intimate self only through Torah. Torah, re- Torah really is the inner code that reveals to us what's going on in God's heart, what's going on in God's mind, what's meaningful to God. Or else people can all, you know, everybody can decide what God wants based on their own. Now, we could know something about God. We can know that He's a magnificent creator. We can see the, a sunset and say, God, you're just so marvelous, you created that. We can see the beautiful mountains. We can see the kindness that God has done to the world by feeding the whole planet and doing all this obviously gives us knowledge about God being a compassionate, giving, generous being. But that's God's professional side. It's like knowing a person in terms of their work. It's a very big difference of knowing someone's professional self or having an intimate knowledge of them as a personal friend outside of their work. It's like you don't know, it's much deeper. So the only, so we say like this, to know God's inner self, who He really is, the only way is through Torah. And since Torah is the revelation, all secrets about God come to us through the Torah. Therefore, even 
secrets about God that are from that is from a dimension far surpassing the godliness of Torah itself, like tshuva, which is coming from an energy that's above the Torah, yet even that has to come through the Torah. That's the reason why in Torah we have the mitzvah of tshuva. Even though tshuva is much higher than Torah. It's communicated and revealed to us through the Torah. That's the answer that we usually talk about, but that's not the answer we're going to delve in tonight. What we're going to do tonight is really going to try to go somewhere much deeper into the realm of Torah. Torah's relationship in establishing tshuva. This is a chiddush, this is a novelty. And the idea is as follows. Not only does, it's not that Torah reveals to us something that's beyond the Torah, but the truth is the whole power of tshuva itself can only come from the Torah. Can only come from the because after all, when a person is doing tshuva, it's, we said earlier, it's coming from a very deep place in you, but it's still coming from a person. And if it's coming from a person, there's a certain limitation to it. And how could it evoke? How could it evoke? How could it reach? How can it touch God's true infinite self? The only way that it can is because when we do tshuva, then we are through the power of the Torah, we're going to see in a moment, through the power of the Torah, revealing something very, very, very deep about our connection to God. In other words, it, it, one feeds off the other. There has to be a symbiosis, a connection over here between the Torah and the tshuva. The real power is coming from tshuva that's beyond the Torah, but we need the Torah in order to reveal that. Not just to reveal it, but to enable that connection. So let's understand that. And here's the idea. When we said earlier that what is the Torah, the Holy Torah, tomorrow we're going to open up the, the first thing we're going to do on Yom Kippur. We're going to open up the Holy Ark. We're going to take out the Torahs. In a sense, perhaps the reason why we're taking out the Torahs is to accomplish exactly what we're going to be talking about in the next 15 minutes. And that is in order to empower the entire Yom Kippur, we need to get the Torah and the reason for that is because Torah has two dimensions. This that we had mentioned before, that Torah is a form of God adjusting Himself to the creation to allow a relationship between Him and the creation, that's only the external outer side of Torah. That's not the true, true, true inner side of the Torah. Torah has two dimensions. There is the Torah as it's God, it's an interface between God and the world, and then there is a much, much, much higher Torah. There is the Torah as it is perfectly one with God's very, very self. And that Torah, which is perfectly, perfectly one with God's very, very, very self, in a place where nothing exists other than God, and therefore nothing can exist other than Him. So if there is Torah over there, it's because the Torah and God are one. And one more entity that exists in that place. And that is the souls of Israel. And on that level, there's only one entity. And that is God, Israel, and the Torah are perfectly one. But let's understand, what is this two dimensions of Torah that we're talking about? What does this mean? Two dimensions. So we'll get an appreciation of this. We'll get an understanding of this by appreciating the difference between mitzvahs and Torah. 
Yom Kippur, it's interesting, what did we say earlier? Yom Kippur is a day God gave us the Torah. There's something about Torah study. This is a day associated with the mitzvah of Torah study. Torah itself. What, versus mitzvahs. What's the, now the mitzvahs are in the Torah, I understand that. But we're talking about, in terms of the actual observance of mitzvahs, mitzvahs is following the commandments and doing what God commanded us to do. And then there is another, there's something, an entity that stands on its own, it's called Torah study. What is different between when a Jew, any one of us, studies Torah like you're doing right now, or going to any other class, or learning yourself. Then when you're doing a mitzvah. Now let's understand something. To learn Torah is a mitzvah. But in addition to Torah being a mitzvah, Torah has its own element infinitely superior to a mitzvah observance. What is, what is unique about Torah? And here's the idea. The sages say about mitzvot, about commandments, that the mitzvahs were given. What was the point of mitzvahs? The mitzvahs were given letzarif behem asabriyos. The mitzvahs were given to refine the creations. The, the purpose of mitzvahs is because through mitzvahs we become refined beings. How does it happen? Okay, that's why the mitzvahs are all the creation needs refinement, especially since we know that what that one day the creation is going to be the garden of God. One day the creation is going to be the personal palace of Hashem, all of creation, especially the physical creation, earth. That's God's desire. In order to make the world into a refined place, an elegant place, the mitzvahs come to polish the world. So any mitzvah, it polishes the object in which the mitzvah is done. It polishes all the associated objects that are related to it. For instance, if we do a mitzvah last week with a shofar, so it brings a certain refinement in all, not just the horns. Okay, the horns, why do we have to refine the horns of the world? We have to refine that too. But all the animals that carry the horns are also refined. And the person's mouth that's blowing the shofar, it's being refined, becoming more godly. Fine. Same as in every, every mitzvah that we do. It refines the object, the person. Fine. But there's another very important thing that happens every time we do a mitzvah in terms of refinement is that we are demonstrating that we are servants of God and that we belong to Him. That's very important. Because the first thing about a relationship with God is to acknowledge that He's God and He's your boss. That's the first thing. The nature of creation. The nature of creation. Creation is created in the way. Well, it shouldn't be a wonder to us that we sometimes see science and this and there are questions on what it says in the Torah and so on and so forth. It doesn't always fit. Because Bereshah's bara elokim. Elokim means concealment. God created the world in a manner of concealment. And the word, in Hebrew, the word, the word world, which the Hebrew word for the word world is olam. Olam means concealment. So the world is a concealment. And therefore it festers, it produces, it, it, it produces ego. It produces a sense of independence, a sense of autonomy. Where, where, where a person wants to feel, what are you talking about? It's my life. I do with my life as I want. It's my life. That's what we all feel. We all fall into that trap. Don't bother me. It's my time. It's 
It's my energy, my money, my kitchen, my bedroom, my clothing, my whatever, my talents. And we're struggling all day long with that my. That's my. We feel a very strong sense of entitlement. Even though, from the Yom Kippur perspective that we're talking right now, and now we're, now we're vessels to hear it, what do you mean my? You don't even exist for a split second without God speaking you and me and all of us into existence every second. What my? It's the most ridiculous thing to say. But we don't feel the creation constantly happening, so we do feel my this, my that, I am. So the moment you're submitting to a mitzvah, what you're really saying is, God, I acknowledge, I surrender. You create me, you get to call the shots. You want me to go do, to bench now? I'm going to bench. You want me to say a blessing? You don't let me eat that? I'm not going to eat it. You want me to walk there? I'm go- You're the boss. So that's huge. The moment you did a mitzvah, you're peeling away the, the, the layers of concealment by surrendering to God. You're already, that's, that's the ultimate, that, that's a huge refinement. You're already connected. Instead of being disconnected through the barrier that God created, you've peeled away that barrier, now you're connected. That's why mitzvah means connection. But the manner in which the mitzvah connects is by means of submission. And let's define something now. The moment you say submission, what you're really saying is that there are two entities. There is God, who is the creator. There is me, I exist. But I acknowledge that my existence comes to me from God and therefore I'm surrendering to Him. So bottom line, who exists? God and me. I mean me. Every person. In, in, the, in, the, in, the, in that space of mitzvah, there is no, it's not like there's only God. There is you. Do, more than that, the whole definition of a mitzvah is that God is commanding someone to do something. What does mitzvah mean? Mitzvah means commandments. If there's only God, there can't be any. There can't be a commandment. Who are you commanding? So there has to be. So that's the whole thing. God did create a world, and with millions, with, with many creatures in it, and He gave us commandments. And through the commandments, we submit ourselves and accept Him as our King. But there is subject and King. There's two entities. Well, now let's enter the holy world of Torah study. It's magnificent. What's happening when you're studying Torah? When you're studying Torah, at this moment you're engaging in a certain, in a certain, um, in a certain I don't want to call it even activity. You're, you're suddenly entering into a different state of being. What's happening is, when you're learning Torah, what's happening? You're allowing your mind to open up and to perceive God's mind. What's the Torah? Torah is God's thoughts. So when you're thinking Torah, at this moment you're not thinking your thoughts, you're thinking His thoughts. If you're verbalizing Torah, which you're supposed to do when you're learning, so now, this is awesome. What's happening right now is God is thinking in your head and God is speaking in your mouth. And where are you? You're not there. You're not there. The only reality being, that has been revealed right now is Hashem's thoughts and His words. We find this by Rabbi, Rabbi, Rabbi Yosef Cairo, who was the author of the Shulchan Aruch, Code of Jewish Law. 
he describes, he, he wrote a, a sefer, and in that book, it says, Ani ha-mishnah medaberes beficha. I, the Mishnah, is speaking in your mouth. When he studied Torah, he studied Torah in such a state of self-effacement that he suddenly lost all self-awareness. And it wasn't him talking. The Mishnah was speaking in his mouth. And who's the Mishnah? The Mishnah is God. Because God and the Torah are one. So suddenly he says to it, it's like fading. You fade from existence. You become subsumed, dissolved into God's all-pervading truth. Therefore, watch this. When you're learning, there isn't God and someone being submitting themselves to them. It isn't Hashem and someone. It's only God. And that's why the person who's studying Torah at that moment is God. Not you're nullified to God. They are Hashem. Because if your thoughts are not your thoughts, and your words are not your words... It's God's, then who are you? Just the conduit for God. There's nothing else but God. That's why, here's an interesting thing, the sages say about the rabbis that they are kings. Man malki rabbanon, they are kings. Why are the rabbis a king? God is a king. We say, we, say, we, we sing. What are we going to, what do we sing at, the, at, at, at we open up the Aron HaKodesh, especially if you go to a Chabad show. We, everybody says it, but Chabad has a very powerful song. We don't have any other king. There's only one king. God is king. But if we have no other king, so what are the rabbis being kings for? The answer is, the rabbis who studied Torah the right way and became so, so unified with the Torah that they're learning to the point where they're just... And that, they, they've emptied out all self-awareness at that moment. They're just conscious of the ideas as being God's ideas and then verbalizing it so their, their whole thought process their mind, their intelligence and their, their excitement is, it's, it's the excitement of the idea which is God's excitement and then the verbal so that whole energy coming through suddenly is not them so obviously you're, you're still seeing a human body to our eyes we see a human body but their soul, their internal self has ceased to be a conscious entity of a creation it has become swallowed up in God, and it's God now fully finding expression through this body. This is a wild idea. And this can only happen when we learn Torah. So in a mitzvah, we submit to God. In Torah, we become one with Him. Now the reason why this difference, let's take it a step deeper. The reason why there is such a difference between mitzvah observance and Torah study is because is because the root of Torah and the root of mitzvahs in God let me just explain that what does that mean the difference is not only in the human the difference is where the mitzvahs are rooted in Hashem and where Torah is happening in God mitzvah, what does mitzvah mean? mitzvah means a commandment as I told you earlier a commandment means that God when he is issuing forth the mitzvah, or even when he wants the mitzvah, what does he want? He wants someone, his subject, to listen to him. The very fact that God wants a subject is, means that God at least is now 
entering a zone where he's allowing something other to him than himself to exist. You know what I'm saying? If the Creator, if God is saying, I have, these are my commandments that I want to be obeyed, I want to be listened, is, that means He is now appreciating, Hashem is appreciating that there's other things besides Himself, and He wants to be connected to them, or allow them to be connected to Him. That means that the mitzvah can only exist on a level where God leaves room for something else to exist. Not so in Torah, and here Torah. Torah comes from a place in God where there's nothing other but God. No one else but Hashem. Where do we find that? The Torah has nothing to do with the world. The sages say, Torah... Kadma la'olam. The Torah comes before the world. If the sages say the Torah comes before the world, what does it mean that the Torah comes before the world? Torah is prior to the entire existence of world. Torah precedes world. It's higher than the whole existence of worlds. That means you don't need a world for Torah. So you're going to ask a question. You say, well, that sounds, that's so ridiculous. Open up any book of Torah and what's the subject? Besides, if you learn Kabbalah and Hasidut, that's talking about Hashem. But even, even in, in Torah and Hasidus, what's it talking about? It's talking about Hashem and the world. But especially when you're learning, you're learning Halacha. What are you learning about? Two people got into a dispute. There was a fight going on because two people uh, um, um, are, are fighting about a, 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 a uh, talis, about a, about a garment that they found. One guy says, I found it first. The other one says... I found it first. And this you have an entire chapter in Talmud discussing of how you're going to resolve this, this, this conflict. What are you going to do? So what do you mean the Torah exists without a world? Without a world, there is no garment, there aren't people, there, there's no fight, there's no court, there's no, the whole thing doesn't exist. And now, but yet you're saying, no, when I study that, I'm entering into a zone where nothing exists but the God. And the answer is, and here's something very important, and this is very fundamental, and appreciating Torah. And that is, it's not like God decided to create a world and God was hypothesizing after he decided to create a world with business crisis, you know, there might, enter, there might come a state where the people will be confused. They won't know what to do if two people come in and they both have bloody noses because they got into a fight because there's this garment and this guy says it belongs to him and the other one says it belongs to him. What are we going to do? So I better tell them what my opinion is. My opinion is that if this happens, you should do so and so. And that's the Torah. That's not true. That's not the way it works. It's not at all the way it works. These laws have nothing to do with a world, and it has nothing to do with the, with the, for, with the foreseeable circumstances where situations might arise, and God says, because there is a, a world, and because there is all these possibilities, I have to resolve, and I have to give them, I have to give them options of how to deal with their, with their I have to give them the, 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 the right way of, of resolving their conflicts. For that, Hashem gave us an entire Seder in Ezekiel of how to deal with that. That's not true. And the proof to that is, sages say that there are many laws in the Torah that never happened and they never will be. For example, the laws of a Ir Hanidachas, a city that, where, the whole, where the whole city goes and serves idols and you have to burn down the city and, and kill all the people. 
The Talmud says that the requirements for that to happen is impossible. It will never happen. It never happened and it never will happen. Another one is that the child who's a, a sorer or mora, according to some opinions, it can never happen. The, 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 the wayward boy who who's, who's rebels against his parents, the whole thing is hypothetical. It can't be, it will never happen. So why is God wasting our time? With something that he himself knows is impossible, it can't be. So why is he wasting our time? Why is he wasting his own time? So the answer is, if God would be giving us a Torah as a result of a need, because the world needs a Torah, because I'm, then you're right, He should only give us things that are possible, and definitely not waste pages of Talmud and discussions and laws of things that will never happen, because they can't happen. But it's not that way. God, I don't know why, He has a lot of free time, I don't know why, hypothesizes all these possibilities that has nothing to do with the world and with the creation. It's his fantasy. It's his wisdom. It's his knowledge. Obviously you understand that when God is imagining this dispute, not in a world because there is a world. It doesn't have to do with the world. Before he even decides to create a world. A dispute with two people on a talus, it doesn't necessarily mean physical people with a physical talus that are fighting. It has some spiritual godly content of what it means. But even, even if it would mean a physical, because it does, the laws mean very, very high, but they also mean in the concrete. Even if it was that, the meaning of it is like this. If there would be a world and there would be such a situation, this is the way I, this is my wisdom, this is the way I would resolve it. It's not as a result because there is a world. It ha- Meaning it's not about the world, it's about God. Every law in Torah is about God. The laws of the Torah are about Hashem. They're not about the world. Once Hashem already decided the mitzvahs, then He had to create a world. Understand? When Hashem decided that He's going to have 613 mitzvahs, He has no choice but to create a world because He can't have a mitzvah without a world. Torah God can have without a world. Just because, meaning there never had to be a world for the Torah to be. It could have existed, the Torah could be there for, for, for all of eternity without a world ever happening, and yet there would be every law and every element that we have in the Torah. So, because that's God's truth. These, this is the way God's mind works. This is what He thinks. This is His will. This is his wisdom. This is his brilliance. Now what happens? He he did create a world. From the perspective of Torah. He created a world so that all these things can be the theater which his Torah can play itself out. So from the perspective of Torah, what's the content of the world? The content of the world is, it's, this is the, this is a stage in which his will can manifest itself and play itself out in, 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 in an actual setting. So it's a, think about that. It's a whole different world now. From the Torah's perspective, the world is just an expression of the Eberster's will, of God's deciding these things. And it didn't have to happen. 
It could have, it would have been totally perfect without it. But he did, he did decide to allow a world to be created so that his will and his wisdom of Torah could find expression in an actual case. In mitzvahs, it works the opposite. Following? In commandments, there has to be something other than him. So mitzvahs are more, in, to a certain degree, there is a, d- a deeper dimension in mitzvahs too, but we're not going to go there right now for the sake that we don't have that much time. But for the, for, for the sake of this discussion today, that you realize the difference between mitzvahs and Torah, is that mitzvahs are about the world. As the sages say, mitzvahs were given so that people can be to refine the world, the, the world that needs refinement, the world needs mitzvahs, the world needs law and order, and these are the law and order, these are the godly rules. Torah has nothing to do with the world. Torah is God's personal ideas. It's, it's, a, it's completely Him, nothing to do with the world. When we learn Torah, so therefore when we're learning Torah, we're entering into a reality where nothing else exists but God and we're, 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 we're probing His mind and the only way we can probe His mind is by being Him because no one else can climb into His mind. So we're just, we cease to be a creation. We become God and now we're, we're unified with his, with, his, with his truths and with His. And that's why there is a fundamental difference also. I'm just going to conclude with this one idea and then bring it back to Tshuva and with Yom Kippur you're going to see something really special. There is also a fundamental difference now between 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 the manner in which when we learn Torah when we do a mitzvah. When we're doing mitzvahs, our attitude and feeling when you're doing a mitzvah is obedience. Since the mitzvah is about what? God is your creator and you're, He is the commander and you're the commandee. And therefore you're doing His commandment because you're stab- God is establishing that He's a king and we are His subjects. Hashem is establishing that he is, he is the king and we are His subjects. So our general consciousness when we do a mitzvah is Hashem, I'm doing the mitzvah because I'm surrendering to you. The main feeling in a mitzvah is God, you commanded, I listen. By Torah study... The main feeling we're supposed to feel when we learn Torah. This is, this, is, this is a novel idea. But the main feeling that we're supposed to feel when we're learning Torah is exhilarating pleasure. Not surrendering. Not, I'm not saying that you shouldn't. Of course, when we learn Torah, Torah is also a mitzvah. Because Torah is also a mitzvah, we're supposed to have the mitzvah ingredient, which mitzvah is obedience. But that's... That's the mitzvah part of Torah. But the Torah part of Torah is what? Ecstasy and bliss. When we appreciate and experience these amazing ideas that are so brilliant and they fill the mind with, with, with a sensation of brilliancy. And the deeper reason why when we learn it's pleasurable, Torah study is, is supposed to be an experience of holy pleasure. The true reason... now why Torah is pleasurable, we might say, on a simple level it's pleasurable, because they're fantastic ideas. It's really brilliant. And when, you, when someone who is a, 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 an intelligent person perceives a, 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 a really great idea, it gives them pleasure. But the real reason why Torah is pleasurable is because Torah is God's pleasure. It's not just... 
Why is Hashem, as we said earlier, why is Hashem fantasizing all these ideas and all these stories and all these possibilities? Because He has infinite brilliance in this and it gives Him tremendous sensation and incredible. Now, how do we know what gives God pleasure? The Pasuk says so. The Torah says about itself, I am by God, Shashuyim. I am something that God delights in and, 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 and finds tremendous pleasure. The reason why we have pleasure when we learn Torah, the deepest reason why we have pleasure when we learn Torah, is because since Torah study, you are becoming one with God, and God has pleasure in Torah. So that's the reason why when you're learning Torah, it's giving you a sensation of pleasure, because, because that's what God is feeling now. Such deep ideas, by the way, such crazy understanding is something that was given to our generation only as a preparation for Mashiach. This is so phenomenal. I mean, to say our generation, I mean, the last couple of generations of Hasidus that have revealed this. When a Yid is learning Torah, he's now, he sees, he's now enveloped in God, and God's pleasure and his pleasure are now totally one. And therefore there was, there was a question. There were those who argued and they felt that when, when you learn Torah you're not supposed to feel pleasure. There were those who argued and said that when you learn Torah you have to do it just because Hashem said so and then it's called Torah Lishma. Torah for the, for the right reason, for the sake of Torah. But if you're having pleasure when you learn Torah, it's forbidden. There were those who argued that. So the great Rebbe of Sochachov, the Iglital, the um, Avne Nezer, writes in his introduction to Igritao, he writes that's absolutely wrong. He says, you're right, if a person is only learning it because it gives pleasure, and not because it's a mitzvah, then it's not good. But if you have pleasure when you're learning, quite on the contrary, he says, you're supposed to have pleasure when you're learning, and that's the only way the Torah becomes one with you. That's what he says. But according to the Lubavitcher Rebbe, the Rebbe's explanation, which is what I'm sharing with you tonight, it's deeper than that. The only way that you can demonstrate that you're truly learning Torah, and that is, what's the point of Torah? Is that your, sh- your neshama and Hashem have totally unified to become one, is if you have pleasure when you're learning it. Because if you're not having pleasure in the Torah, then you're not one with God, because God does have infinite sensation when He learns Torah, which is he and his, through His Torah. So if you're engaging in that element of God, which is His Torah, you have to be. That's, that's in God's pleasure zone. You're in that... Pl- and if you're one with Him, then this is your pleasure. So now, let's go back to Tshuva. With this, the Rebbe, by the way, explains... I, I can't contain myself because I'm not going to have another chance to say this we're never going to get to this deep place another da time so let's might as well do this even if it takes two extra minutes afterwards before Yom Kippur so I can do tshuva of, of taking more time from you tomorrow I'll be erased for this sin for holding you longer but then I'll have to ask you mechila okay hope you'll all forgive me so it's a quick 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 little thought it's beautiful the Talmud says in Masech Yuma that no one has an excuse for not learning Torah even if a person is unbelievably busy and there are two reasons why a person can be very busy. Either they're very poor or they're very rich. People that are very rich have so much business they have to be very busy. 
and people that are very poor also are very busy to, to, to etch out a living. So the Talmud says no one has an excuse because there was a person, his name was Hillel, and no one was poorer than Hillel. He was like as poor as poor gets. And yet he studied Torah. And no one, I know what, in those, in those days, no one was richer than Elazar ben Chasma. He was a very, very crazy wealthy man. Very, very busy. And yet he was a great, great sage. So the, the Gemara says that if anybody comes on, on, to that world and gives an excuse, either extreme poverty or extreme this, then Hillel is going to refute the argument if they're poor, and Elazar ben Chasma is going to refute the argument because they're going to say to him, were you wealthier than Elazar ben Chasma? Were you busier than him? And yet he studied Torah. So the Rebbe asks a good question. He said, I don't get it. Are we talking about someone who is legally busy, meaning his, 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 according to the obligation of Torah study, he is exempt from Torah study because he needs to, he's going to starve to death, he needs to feed his family. If we're talking about a case like that, then what do we mean? Hillel studied. How can you, dem- if, if he's exempt, he's exempt. And if we're talking about a case that the guy is only pretending to be so busy, but he's not really so busy, so then I don't need Hillel. Why do I need Hillel? Why do I need a Lazar and Chasma if the guy really had time? So put it this way. If he doesn't have time, really doesn't have time, then he's truly exempt from Torah. He doesn't have any... There's 24 hours of the day, and he's working 23 and a half hours. The rest of the time, he needs a few few, few minutes to to eat something or do something. The guy doesn't have a minute in his day. He doesn't have it. And if you're going to argue and say that he does have it and he's just claiming that he's busy, then you don't need Hillel. Or you don't need Allah Zabin Chasma to prove it. So the Rebbe answers one thing. This exact point. It, you're right, the Rebbe says. From the act of the commandment to learn Torah, every person is exempt when they learned, when they don't have time. If you don't really have time because you have to make a living, because the commandment of learning Torah, you can't obligate someone. Because he doesn't have time, he doesn't have time. The answer, but here's the deal. Hillel didn't even have any time. Elazar ben Chasma didn't even have any time. So how do they learn? And the answer is like this. If I was to hire a worker, yesterday I needed to get a new refrigerator into my house. And my old refrigerator broke and there was a new refrigerator. The truth is it was impossible to get into the house. The doors were too narrow, that fridge could not get into the house. Literally, we could not get into the house. Impossible. I had a guy deliver a fridge on Thursday. These were professional delivery guys. They came on, thir- they came on Friday to deliver the refrigerator. They walked in actually by candlelighting to deliver. And they walked in. And these guys deliver hundreds of fridges. And they said, that, dude, these doors are too narrow. No matter what, they're going to take off the door. It's not going to work. They went back. So what did I do? I bought a bigger refrigerator on Sunday. And I called a guy, Dobbins in the shul, and he got another guy. I think this was God sent angels. They came to bring this refrigerator. And I can tell you it was literally impossible to bring this refrigerator out. Every door. We measured, impossible. So what did they do? They stripped every bolt on that refrigerator. Every single door, every single screw, everything came off. They almost disassembled the whole thing. But not only, then they disassembled all the doors. They took off all the cabinets and took off all the molding from the doorways. They, they, they literally, <laughs> I almost fainted. And guess what? They got it in. But what does it mean? Why they get it in? They get it in because this guy was gonna, he's not, he felt so close to me and he wants to help me and he's gonna get it done and therefore he did the impossible. But I'll, I'll, I'll use an example that has nothing to do with the fair. If I was to hire a worker and I would ask him to pick up things that weigh a ton, he can't weigh, he can't pick up a thing that weighs it. You know, if I asked him to pick up 
400 pounds. He can't. But what happens if I reveal to him and tell him, I need these bags. You have to take them and load them on the truck. And the bags are literally filled with diamonds and gold coins. And he, and, and, and he actually gets to keep those. Every bag he takes, he gets to keep. So what's going to happen? Even though from the perspective, from, from, from the demand of a worker, I can't demand of him to pick up so much weight. He can't do it. But once he knows it's diamonds, then it's a whole different reality. What happens? The pleasure element opens his soul up. The fact that he's going to become a rich man. By, he, he, he's a pauper. And now he's becoming a rich man by picking up this bag. He's going to unearth unhuman strength. Powers that are totally beyond them to pick it up. How? He can't. But when... A, you can't, you can't. But, <laughs> but you could. But you could. So when it comes to learning Torah, it's the same thing. From the mitzvah of learning Torah, you're right. You can't demand of a person something that's beyond his existence. But we're not talking now, in this moment of learning Torah, we're not talking about a commandment to someone who's a somebody. We're learning Torah on the ultimate level of learning Torah because Torah is one with God and at the moment the person is learning, he is one with God. That level opens up possibilities where you're not limited, you're infinite. Because from this dimension that's deeper, when you realize that learning Torah is becoming completely subsumed and integrated into God, into the Abishter himself, there's nothing that can stop you. Now we can understand why the day of giving of the Torah is the day of Yom Kippur. Because what we said earlier, in order for tshuva to work, it has to be revealed our essence. That our essence is not separated from God, that we are godly. That we are Hashem. That revelation that you are God is revealed, as we said just now in this whole the last 40 minutes, in Torah study, not in mitzvahs. Because in Torah study, dafka in Torah, which as we said, Torah, Torah is Hashem's self where he hasn't stepped out of himself. It's totally him. And when we're learning Torah, we're revealing how our souls are completely one with him. That's why we can have his pleasure. And that's why our words are not our words. When we're learning Torah, it's him speaking through us. So this is uncovering the oneness of the Jew with Hashem. And when you reveal this oneness, that the Jew with God are completely one, not a creation submitting, attaching, connecting, but someone who's intrinsically one with God, so on that level there is no blemishes. Because if you are God, then what's the blemish? Going back. The blemish is a disconnect from Hashem. But if this is who you are, so on the day of the giving of the Torah, which is called the day of Hashem's marriage to us, on the day of giving of the Torah, this day reveals this deepest connection. How could we even learn Torah, which is one with God, is because the souls are the third partner. It's not really partners. It's all really one entity. Hashem, His Torah, and the Jewish people are totally one. Only that level of depth, only that essential truth, can bring tshuva, which that essential truth is what Torah is all about. A state where nothing exists outside Hashem but Him. And from that, and that place, we are Him. And there is no blemish. And everything is atoned. And from there, we can recharge and reset ourselves 
to go back into existence, into a world, so that we can create from this world a home for Hashem. May we merit, may we merit to have the ultimate atonement on Yom Kippur, and that we should know and realize how awesomely godly we all really truly are. Agamar Chasimataiva and a good Gebenjdiar.